because they never make it to KBs. They make it to Slack conversations and they die in Slack. Brought to you by Island. This is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we bring together panels of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand and at the very least agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bites in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is about the concerns customers have with support in the cloud. My name is Brian Knutson. I'm the Director of Cloud Market Intelligence for iLand, and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a robust group of cloud supporters. Let's start with having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important when considering concerns with support in the cloud. Hi, I am Jim Jones, and I am currently a cloud architect here at iLand Secure Cloud. But before that, I was a SMB admin of many hats for a very long time. So happy to be here. And I will say that I think this can be a very interesting topic in that I think that no one has a mediocre response to how support is for a given company. We either love a company's support or hate it. And I'll be interested to see how everybody else feels about it. My name is Mike Nelson, and I'm currently working as a Microsoft Solutions Architect at Pure Storage. But I've been about in the technology area for about 35 years, so done everything from break fix all the way up to independent consulting, you name it. And what I'd like to talk about today around the support in the cloud is a lot of folks who were born and raised with the on-premises data center, they don't get it. They don't get the support in the cloud, and it's been a tough journey for some of them. So I think that's something we need to talk about. Hello, I'm Christopher Cusack. You can find me at CXI on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, the pragmatictech.com for some occasional rantings on this and that. Founder, CTO, and these days working in the vendor space, doing some little of this, a little bit of that. On this topic, I actually find very interesting as an advocate for good quality support, especially when it comes to cloud services. I found there's a uh, quite a cadre of good opinions when it comes to support in the cloud and a number of often unknown facts when it comes to that. And I'm really excited to be part of this conversation because I'd like to help, you know, draw some of the myths and the realities. Thank you all for joining me. Moving data and applications to the cloud requires giving up a fair amount of control and consequently requires a higher level of trust in your providers. We have separate episodes specifically for both of those topics, so please check those out. But in this episode, we're going to focus on the support that those cloud providers offer to their customers. In considering this support, customers rightfully have a fair amount of concern on what they'll be getting. Christopher, how would you recommend customers evaluate cloud provider support? And, you know, could this be as simple as utilizing a free trial or a POC and then just opening a bunch of test support cases to see what kind of response they get? So I love the example you gave there because prior to you even mentioning that, I would have never thought of, let's do a POC or trial and then we'll use it as a mechanism to test support because usually, most of the time, we are a real customer and we don't have to deal with support until there's a problem. And then when there's a problem, there's a problem and we've got to deal with it at that point, right? So I, I love the premise of actually using that as a tool to kind of drive that part. 
So what I would do from that is one, I, I probably might take advantage of that, but probably not exclusively because the, the organizations might feel a little, you know, used in that particular regard. I'd say it really comes down to identifying and establishing your real use cases and problems and your, your requirements, the scenarios you're actually going to be in. And the first part of that is see if there are actual solutions for those types of problems as they come up. Because one of my biggest challenges is dealing with a problem in real time because it's a problem. And it's like, oh, did we buy the right contract? And I found that to be true of, you know, on-premises equipment, but I found it to be even worse when it comes to certain cloud vendors. I mentioned earlier that I, I would be an advocate for the customer in a lot of these scenarios. And that came up for a cloud vendor I will not name. I happen to be at an event for other advocates and supporters of that. And I brought the question up of like, how are you going to support the enterprise? How are you going to provide the type of expectation we have as enterprise organizations and as enterprise customers to be able to get what we want? And the response I was given is, well, you're here as an insider or with deep knowledge on that. If you have a problem, you let us know and we'll escalate. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I mean, yeah, if I have a problem... I'll take it straight up to, you know, the director, the VP, whoever is responsible for it. The problem is if anyone who's not me has a problem, I want to make sure that they're getting their needs met. And I find that a lot of these organizations tend to be a little laissez-faire about how they actually handle that. Either you get the best support in the world because you have connections or you're kind of, you know, go to forums. That's where your answer is going to come from. And I find that there's not a lot of in between. It's a super high level or absolutely no support whatsoever. So I'd like to chime in on that a little bit. I take it more from a secret shopper type of approach, right? Because if you're talking about doing a POC and you want to test support, I've been with customers that where I've actually said, hey, you know what? Don't tell the rep that you're going to be creating a support ticket. Don't tell the SE you're going to be creating a support ticket. Don't give them any kind of escalation, anything like that. And come around from the aspect of, hey, I'm just a regular customer and I just want to open up a ticket and find out what the deal is. And it's been surprising to me some of the results because they recognize the name maybe or they say, hey, we don't have you in the sales force yet. We don't have you in the system, all that kind of stuff. So they really never get anything accomplished. And more often than not, it turns out to be a frustrating experience for those folks. I'll say to another point is, you know, no two support techs are alike. It's like you get one on the phone reading from a script, you get the second one who doesn't really do the same thing, or you get someone who's in another country in a different time zone, things like that. And it just getting the synergy with support people is very difficult in my experience and some of the customers I've worked with. When you talk about escalation, escalation is can be vapor. It really is. It can be vapor because, you know, you're kind of sitting out there like in Star Wars saying, hey, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Well, the escalation just isn't there. I mean, you're really not doing anything with the ticket. So I find that from a cloud perspective, folks who have worked in the data center and have worked with their own support people and have worked with these other vendors, they're not getting the same experience with cloud vendors. They're not getting the same hands-on, touchy-feely type of experience that they've had in the past. And that concerns them. I think that's why some of them pull away. So would you say that you've seen less hands-on approach to support with cloud than on-premises? Is that what you were getting at? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Without a doubt. In my experience, working with folks that have been migrating up to, as an example, taking an entire county government, 300 and I want to say 300 and some users, small county government, I'm sorry, but taking a county government and putting them up into Azure, 
and moving them up into M365 first. Obviously, that was the first step, right? Move up into 365, get all that stuff done, but then actually shift over to putting an application up there. Support was just abysmal. I'm trying to get through the migration, trying to do this, trying to do that. And they were like, well, we got better support from our local, as they call it, cloud provider, which was just a third party that handled it for them or another SaaS provider besides the bigger cloud folks. So is it to say on that kind of approach that the cloud is just someone else's computer? <laughs> is that your workload is just someone else's workload and therefore you're just a ticket? But it's not their problem. That's just it. It's their workload, but it's not their problem. Exactly. Well, I do find a slight disconnect to where I am actually seeing a higher quality of service and support delivery in some of the... So I'll separate this way. I've found universally most support to be terrible. Yeah. It doesn't matter where or what kind it happens to be. There was a period of time in like 2011 where some companies got it, but then it like went to the wayside a little bit. And I found it starting to come back a little bit as more and more products get cloudified, but more specifically, they become cloud integrated. So I'm going to share with you an example, right? Here's a real world scenario. It doesn't matter what the product is, who the cloud provider is, or the hardware vendor. You pick up the phone, you call up the support company. And if their first question is, who are you? What's your serial number? Tell me everything. What's your account? I'm like, I don't know. What's my entitlement? What, what is this question? But if that's the first thing you get, uh, welcome to what's going to be an interesting conversation, right? Because you're going to spend a lot of time telling them something that they might already know. But then I'm finding more and more support organizations. Let's take a lot of this lines to on-premises, but a lot of the cloud slash hybrid cloud mixed models are kind of leveraging a lot of that. So I will take like a purity driven with pure storage, right? We take a like VMware integrated with Skyline. Mm -hmm. We take any of the cloud buckets themselves, you know, Google with Stackdriver or any of those other pieces like that. When you call up and they have a native they natively pull your data into that environment and start to correlate against it. I take this back to uh, long ago of when NetApp first introduced their, I can't remember what their auto support model, where it would send the logs up to where support would call the customer and say, you've got a problem yep. and here's how you fix it. When the service model is, we know about the problem, we're advising you on it, as opposed to... I've seen Stackdriver like, oh, you're not paying for the extra enhanced stuff. Okay, well, I'm not going to tell you anything. In fact, I'm going to make it painful for you to try to figure out your information. And I found that to be true across a lot of the clouds. Uh, Microsoft actually gets some pluses for it because they've made the integration a little bit more. I mean, they monetize that integration, but they've made it a little better. But as more organizations adopt this, whether it's traditional on-prem or hybrid type models or purely service in the cloud, when they do that and they make it where it's data-driven and they know who you are, I find it to be a far better experience to the, who are you? What's your entitlement type of model of, now I, I can't say yesteryear or yesterday, of today. That is literally the model of today. Well, speaking of entitlement, one thing I'd like to add is going to Brian's original idea of opening a test support case. I will say that often when we engage with organizations about support, you know, maybe your options are, remote office and production as the levels of support you can get. And that's supposed to be, you know, this SLA versus that SLA. But oftentimes, one of the things that I've found is even within that, understanding where your levels are to get to the different severities, you know, this type of thing equals that. It doesn't always mean that if I call support, I can have an expectation of support 
in a timely manner. An example of that is in a previous role, we had gone through, done POC, felt like we had done all of our due diligence to effectively decide, you know, this is going to be a good vendor for us, have something start to go wrong. And this is on an edge security device or a set of edge to security devices. And we go and open a support case. And the next thing we know, in a situation where we're completely disconnected from the internet, our SLA for that severity level is 48 hours. Wow. I'm like, no, this cannot be. Uh, and so, yeah, absolutely. I learned the hard way to test on that one myself. Well, you know, that goes to that old question of it's not what they do when things go right. It's what they do when things go wrong. Right. And that's that old adage you know, gets repeated over and over again, but it's still so true. Yeah. So, Jim, you know, we kind of touched on this before, but I want to you know, since you're kind of putting on that customer hat, I'd like you to leave it on for now. Sure. And kind of understand in those days as a customer, as you were looking at support and particularly around cloud providers, was it more important for you to have kind of extensive detailed wikis that you could search and find all the answers you need to and go to those forums and get the support online and never have to actually interact with a real human being? Or was it more important for you to have kind of that robust set of support channels? You know, I know that if I go onto their website, I can hit this chat and it's going to connect me to an actual human. I can pick up the phone. I could call. I can get access to actual people to help me along the way. I'm curious as to what your experience was there and kind of what your priority was as a customer. Yeah, so that's a great question. And to be real honest, it's honestly a bit of both. So as a customer, I was a big proponent of if a system is down, I will give myself two hours of trying to bang on this before I start trying to do the reach out or trying to find a human being. In those situations, the documentation is absolutely important. And, you know, I will say that, you know, one of my pet peeves in life actually is when organizations bury that basic support information behind a login to where you have to know what the login is before you can even get to a KB article or see version histories. In a lot of situations, especially if you're in a robust team, then you may not be that person that knows the login for that thing you're filling in or you're a consultant maybe working with an organization and trying to scramble and find that information before you can just get it is is a little annoying. But once I would hit that two-hour mark or throw up my hands and say this isn't working, absolutely being able to reach out is important. But just as important is having that reach out like I said earlier, being able to be done in a timely manner. You know, that's we've all called and got on a support call before, and it's like, you are number 67 in queue. You can expect someone to pick up in, you know, one and a half hours or something like that. For enterprise IT and support provider type situations, that just doesn't fly. Jim, I just got to ask you, you talked about, you know, the two hours of self-support that you would go through. What about if you had a sub one? What are you expecting from a customer perspective when the lights go out, basically, and you've got to get somebody on the horn to take care of this business right away. I mean, are you going to go and look through the wikis? Are you going to go and wait for the chat and things like that? Are you looking actually provider that's going to say, hey, you got a sub one, you're going to the top of the queue, we'll be on it and we'll be talking to you. Yeah, sub one is definitely a different kind of situation. Maybe my mindset on that has been shaded from experiences with 
other support organizations before that. And I think we can all probably say we've been there. I think, Christopher, you actually mentioned that, you know, it got a little better in 2011, but, you know, a lot of situations, my banging on it for two hours is going to be more productive than, say, me getting that first tier of support. And a lot of times in that period of time, you can find some answers. But absolutely, if you're in an all systems down kind of situation, that's definitely a good situation to reach out. Yeah, I agree. And I just bring this up because is the timing of this recording as it is, there was a big outage last week in one of the cloud providers, right? And it affected several different regions. And it was all around authentication. They pushed out an authentication update, didn't work, broke some stuff. They had to pull it back. But the issue is, is that I actually had someone who had a critical business application that they could no longer access, right? So that turns into a like a SEV1 situation for them. The problem was, is that they have no recourse for support at that point, except to open up a support ticket through their portal. And that is just, you know, they couldn't believe that that's the only way. So they give me a call and they say, hey, you know, I'm a Microsoft MVP. We have, you know, different distribution lists and things that we can go through. And of course, on the distribution list, people were like, hey, I got customers, the portal's down, this is down, that's down. And the PMs were coming back and saying, yep, we know, we're working on it, we know. But these customers are kind of left out in the cold because they don't have anyone that they can talk to. Have you ever been able to call anyone at Google or AWS or Microsoft besides not paying a fortune for premium support or anything like that? But that's just not possible anymore, right? Yeah, I I agree. Definitely hard to do. To tie back to Jim spending a couple hours to try and understand the issue better, which really helps either to solve the problem or when you engage support. If you were to immediately get on the phone with support, I just have to ask the question, has anyone really ever gotten any useful experience of support within those first two hours? I mean, if so, I mean, it sounds great. But once we get our entitlement out of the way or however we're trying to get to that part, then you're explaining to everybody what the problem is. And they're like, oh, I, oh, wait, we got to change the shift over. You got the new people like, all right, now I have to, you know, let's, I have to tell the story to them now too, because they can't read release notes. <laughs> they got to read the case. They got to read the case. <laughs> yeah. And in those cases, sometimes it's important to open up the case while you're still doing the documentation lookups and work in parallel is, you know, for every vendor that you work with has a different approach to all these things. So, you know, sometimes... Jim, I used to have a similar pattern of, I'm going to try and knock it out myself in the first two hours, and then I'm calling support. And that's usually when it wasn't a critical situation. But if it was a critical situation, I would usually deputize somebody to go make the call and get them on the phone while I was frantically searching around trying to find an answer and working those in parallel tracks that eventually would come together. And I would already have a body of knowledge to say, I tried this, I tried that, and jump through some of those hoops before you know the person actually got on the phone. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm a big fan of the, uh, we don't need the smartest person in the room to be on the phone to get someone on the phone, right? We get somebody to do that so the rest of us can spend the time trying to figure out what's going on so we can start to narrow and isolate things because that's the key part. When you have a problem, it's it. Honestly, the example of, of a major cloud outage is an easy one. It's a, there's nothing I can do. At least that's the best outcome I can possibly hope for because there's nothing I can do. And it's like, well, there's nothing. I can't make things come up more. I guess we should have had this thing split between U.S. East and U.S. West. I agree with you. Right? It's a separate case at that point, right? It's easy when all the lights are off, but when the lights are flickering a little bit, ooh, what do we do? Now we got to figure out where our issue happens to be. 
oh, is this a, a major a weird CDN or DNS problem? That And is it my issue or am I just the recipient of it? Exactly to the last point. Yeah, you become the architect of your own resolution and then support is, I mean, it's nice when they actually are helping you in such a way, but I spend a lot of time having to figure out problems so I can then articulate and explain the problem. Exactly to your last point is that the customer doesn't know whether they're the only ones affected or not. As an example, my internet goes out and I call my cable provider. I say, my internet is out. And I'll say, is anybody else having problems? Is there an outage in the area? Oh, we're not reporting any outages in the area. And then I get a text from my neighbor. Hey, my internet's out. Is yours out? Well, yeah, then there must be an outage in the area, but they won't tell me that. Right. So how does the customer know? Well, and that gets us into like another little fun thing is we start talking about status pages and forgetful as to which major service provider it was a few months ago that had a big outage. But it was seven or eight hours before they updated their status page to say, yes, we're experiencing an outage. And even then it was just we're experiencing an outage with no details as to where the issue is and what it was. That's an important part of a good support org as well, is being able to get that information out. You wanna know the scary part on this? I found gaming platforms, like Blizzard and Epic, to have better support to their millions of customers than these major enterprise cloud providers who we're spending all this money with. Wait, I can't tell you there's a problem because I don't know the reason why. Yeah, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to dig a little bit more into kind of what you should expect from support. So, you know, all support organizations help with break fix, assuming you have access to call them or email them. But some do give more white glove type approaches to the support, meaning, you know, they may provide advice, they may answer generic questions. Hey, how do I configure this or that? Mike, I'm curious from your perspective, what you think when a customer should focus on providers with the latter, when should they look for more of that white glove, helpful approach rather than just a straight up break fix? In my opinion, if we were living in a world where there were unicorns and rainbows and everything was just, you know, the way that everything should be in a nice, peaceful, happy world, then all of the vendors would be giving a white glove approach. But that's just not possible, right? So from a customer perspective, you really have to focus on what you have the ability to do and possibly steer the outcome of. Because if you take a look at it, if you're going to put a mission critical application out in a cloud provider, then you're going to want to, you know, establish with that cloud provider that you better have that white glove approach. You better have that support when you need it. You may end up paying a lot of money for that support, but you're going to have that support. And if you're just going up there and you're just, you know, using it from a development standpoint, maybe not so much as, you know, line of business apps or business critical or anything like that, then not so much. You know, you can pull back from that. But when you're looking at a provider that's going to give you that white glove, I don't know many that, you know, if you don't have a one-on-one relationship with them, like with a solutions engineer, a systems engineer, or someone who is like a TAM for that, I don't know how they're going to be giving you advice and answering generic questions because you're really not going to get that on a support call. In my experience, I've never been able to ask a support person like, you know, especially at the first level, first and second level, being able to say, hey, I've got this problem. How do you fix that? That's just not in their script. You know, it's not how they do things when you're dealing with larger providers. And I think you need more of a one-on-one type relationship. You need to establish that. When you go to a cloud provider, you say, we're going to do this. This is what we want to start out. 
with. And we really expect this level of support. Don't hem and haw over it and say, yeah, okay, we're okay with not getting great support. No, go to them and say, you want great support. You want the best support that they can give you. And then if it goes downhill from there, then, you know, you can fall back on that and say, hey, we need you guys. We really need you to help us. And you promised us this. It's not always going to work out in the real world, obviously, but it's just something you can shoot for. And it's something that makes the transition a little bit easier. Like I was saying before, a lot of data center folks have never really had to step out of that comfort zone. They've never really had to say that I have someone else that's now providing all my infrastructure, providing all of my connectivity to my applications and backends and all that kind of stuff. I've always had it. I could always touch it. I could always feel it. I could always look at the blinky lights in the data centers. We can't do that anymore. And when you have a support person on the end of the line that says, hey, I'm here to help you. We're going to get this thing done. And I'm going to be with it with you from step one all the way to step 256 or whatever it is, that is what you're really looking for from a customer's perspective, in my opinion. So what you're saying, Mike, is your call is very important to us. Please stay on the call. (laughs) (laughs) I want to note on that, though. There's something I do want to explicitly mention on is I have seen some white glove cloud services that have left me saying, Ooh, that's actually good. Yeah. And that's, that's a very rare thing. It is for all the obvious reasons, because I've seen a lot of white glove. It's like, yeah, it's white. I mean, if you pay enough and, and you give new gloves every week, right? Because those are going to get dirty. Yeah. I can speak from an aspect of being a service provider for Island as an example. When I was with another company that Island was working with, it was that same type of thing, but I was an SE. I was their one to one match, right? And they would come back to me and say, hey, we really appreciate you fixing this side issue, which really wasn't part of the issue. But thanks for the advice on this. And, you know, we're going to take it and we're going to go off and do that. But I couldn't get that from a calling 1-800-SUPPORT and you get that same type of interaction. Well, I have found in the most recent cases, I know Keith Townsend and CTO Advisor guys did a study with all the VMware cloud running on Oracle, running on Amazon, running on Google. And that each of those was a white glove delivered model. And the experience from the one who was actually opening the tickets and then working with them was really impressive. They would open up a chat conversation and they'd be working with the team responsible for it and getting the answers they wanted. Or if they, you know, picked up the phone and, and made a call at three in the morning, because when you're dealing with, well, real enterprise problem, you're picking up a phone, and making a call at three in the morning. It's not all eight to five issues, especially if you're dealing with migrations and stuff. And they were getting a positive experience. And I'll note, they're getting a positive experience today. I'd love to see if that's still true, you know, year two and year three. Because day two operations is, people like to think of it like, it's not day two. Yeah, but but day 2000, are you still getting the same experience that you're getting? It's easy. When it's fresh money, it's good. It's good experience. But when the team who built something then leaves, is it going to carry forward? And I can feel those ones are doing a really good job today. I'd love to see if that's still true years and years on. Christopher, the provider got the ring. They had the honeymoon. And then after that, it's just like, uh, well, yeah, okay. You're still with us. That's cool. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I remember back to who uh, it was uh, major carriers, uh, like phone carriers, right? When you would call with a problem, so long as the problem can be solved in under the amount of money it takes to retain you as a customer uh, or to acquire you as a new customer, they can write off those things. 
And I feel like a lot of the clouds sometimes feel like, oh, you have to use us. So why do we care if it takes yeah. forever to support you or not? Because you, you are beholden to us. You're vendor locked. And it's like, no, we're not. But yet a lot of people still feel like they are. Well, one thing I will add and kind of riffing off of that idea, Christopher, is I find that when I would desire the more white glove approach more than others is when a given solution had its fingers in lots of different pies in my relationship with, you know, whatever that software was. So if we look at things like disaster recovery providers or anything that's going to be integrating with all these different things, that's when you, in my opinion, really, really wanted that white glove capability because, you know, let's say, you know, we look at like an island. If I look at island, there's a lot of expertise that has to occur underneath the covers for something like that to happen. But, you know, I talked to VMware. VMware is going to be knowledgeable about their products, but they may not be about Veeam. They may not be about Zerto, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Finding that coalescing support organization that can say, okay, all these things under this umbrella, we are in a very good situation with being able to help and to get you over that hump and go from there. That's great advice there. So just to kind of summarize what we've talked about, we've talked a lot about support, obviously. But what I've really picked up is that cloud providers often are less hands-off as a very general thing. And so it's even more important when picking a cloud provider to make sure you pick one that's going to provide the level of support that you need. And there is a wide difference of philosophies on how personal that support can and should be from those different cloud providers. And my advice on top of all that would be that, you know, when there is a problem, there's a problem. And I love that advice because at that point, it's too late to test support. So it's important to test it ahead of time. And when it comes down to it, those critical systems that you're moving into the cloud need to have the ability to get a human on the other side involved. At some point, potentially something bad is going to happen and just digging through knowledge base articles and emailing somebody isn't going to be enough. So you need to know what your needs are for all your different systems ahead of time. And then research and investigate and make sure that the SLAs, the support channels, are going to meet the needs of your company. And the cost of that support, you know, you may have to go into a, a paid support tier and generally is, is going to be worth it. If your system's that critical that you need that level of effort from the cloud provider, it's probably worth paying for. And it's a really great value if you can get it without any cost. Quick uh, advertisement for Island, we, we include a premium support for free. And that includes that white glove level of support to be able to give customers that ability to feel comfortable moving into the cloud and not feel like they're completely on their own. So quick wrap up, spend some time investigating the support organization of those cloud providers you're considering and what those options are that they're going to provide to you. And, you know, when it comes time to call them, a lot of the same tricks are going to apply that you've been using for your on-prem vendors with your cloud providers. So Use that experience you have, and, and for the most part, those are always going to apply there. If I could add one thing, Brian, I just want to add this real quick, is you mentioned the thing about investigating the support options. Take it a step further. Instead of just you know relying on references that you're given by the cloud provider or even things that you've seen online, go out and seek from the users, from the community, people that are using the same service, the same provider, but trying to do the same types of things that you are going to do or you plan to do with that provider. Because I have found that just talking to other community users that are along the same track, but you're not going to find one that's exact, but 
they're along the same track, you get a better feel of how that support really is in true form. It's not going to be watered down. It's not going to be something that's written up on a one pager. It's somebody who's just talking to you from a user to user perspective. References matter. Well, a lot of people say that the cloud is cheap, but they're rarely actually including in those support costs. And let's we consider that the cloud is a utility, right? When I have a problem with the phone company or the power company, I call up a partner organization to support it. But that's not true. But if I'm dealing with Google, Amazon, Microsoft, in any single one of those environments, I can go straight to the business and get what I get. Or I go through a partner organization, which there are millions, just such as iLand. The purpose is to help navigate those waters of the complexities of those cloud environments. And it makes it much easier because, I mean, natively, as a support organization, as a utility, it's terrible. So it's better to go through some other organization to help you enable your organization because you get what you pay for, right? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Cool. Well, with that, let's finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you to Christopher, Jim, and Mike for a great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. And if you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on those podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. He's like, well, I probably shouldn't show this to you, but at this le- at this point, I feel like you kind of deserve to, to know this. He showed me the internal KB. This is like not behind a red wall. This is employee only KB. It was super frustrating to me as a customer because it literally said, if it powers off, it may not power on.